Hi, Northeast, and welcome back to the podcast. Um, so we just had spring break. Well, what you can kind of call spring break during our time or during our crazy time. But whatever the case may be, we're going to continue on with our podcast. I hope everyone is staying healthy. I hope everyone is able to stay home, um, washing your hands, you know, making sure that you're being as healthy and as safe as possible. Um, but with that, I'm going to start a new short story for us today. This one is called The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin. But before we get started, I wanted to announce that if you have not been on Google Classroom recently, I did update the stream because I actually saw that the streaming site, Hulu, actually picked up Binti by Nadia Korafor for a TV show. Remember how all those times I kept saying how we have literally no visuals to go along with this novel. So we had to, you know, lean on the imagery that it was using. Well, now in this case, a TV show is going to be made of it. So if you guys are interested, you guys can tune in and watch it. Um, I think they're still at the script writing stage of it. So it'll probably take a little bit of time for it to actually come out. But it's a good piece of news to be hearing. Um, And without further ado, we're going to start with the story of an hour. The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin Knowing that Mrs. Mallard was afflicted with a heart trouble, great care was taken to break to her as gently as possible the news of her husband's death. It was her sister Josephine who told her, in broken sentences, veiled hints that revealed in half-concealing. Her husband's friend Richards was there, too, near her. It was he who had been in the newspaper office when intelligence of the railroad disaster was received, with Brentley Mallard's name leading the list of killed. He had only taken the time to assure himself of its truth by a second telegram, and had hastened to forestall any less careful, less tender friend in bearing the sad message. She did not hear the story as many women would have heard the same, with a paralyzed inability to accept its significance. She wept at once, with a sudden, wild abandonment in her sister's arms. When the storm of grief had spent itself, she went away to her room alone. No one would follow her. There stood, facing the open window, a comfortable, roomy armchair. Into this she sank, pressed down by a physical exhaustion that haunted her body and seemed to reach into her soul. She could see in the open square before her house the tops of trees that were all aquiver with the new spring life. The delicious breath of rain was in the air. In the street below, a peddler was crying his wares. The notes of a distant song which someone was singing reached her faintly, and countless sparrows were twittering in the eaves. There were patches of blue sky showing here and there through the clouds that had met, and piled one above the other in the west facing her window. She sat with her head thrown back upon the cushion of the chair, quite motionless except when a sob came up into her throat and shook her, as a child who has cried itself to sleep continues to sob in its dreams. She was young, with a fair, calm face, whose lines bespoke repression and even a certain strength, but now there was a dull stare in her eyes, whose gaze was fixed away off yonder on one of those patches of blue sky. It was not a glance of reflection, but rather indicated a suspension of intelligent thought. There was something coming to her, and she was waiting for it, fearfully. What was it? She did not know. It was too subtle and elusive to name. 
but she felt it creeping out of the sky, reaching toward her through the sounds, the scents, the color that filled the air. Now her bosom rose and fell tumultuously. She was beginning to recognize this thing that was approaching to possess her, and she was striving to beat it back with her will, as powerless as her two white slender hands would have been. When she abandoned herself, a little whispered word escaped her slightly parted lips. She said it over and over under her breath. Free, free, free. The vacant stare and the look of terror that had followed it went from her eyes. They stayed keen and bright. Her pulses beat fast, and the coursing blood warmed and relaxed every inch of her body. She did not stop to ask if it were or were not a monstrous joy that held her. A clear and exalted perception enabled her to dismiss the suggestion as trivial. She knew that she would weep again when she saw the kind, tender hands folded in death, the face that had never looked save with love upon her, fixed and gray and dead. But she saw beyond that bitter moment a long procession of years to come that would belong to her absolutely, and she opened and spread her arms out to them in welcome. There would be no one to live for her during those coming years. She would live for herself. There would be no powerful will bending hers in that blind persistence with which men and women believe they have a right to impose a private will upon a fellow creature. A kind intention, or a cruel intention, made the act seem no less a crime as she looked upon it in that brief moment of illumination. And yet she had loved him. Sometimes. Often she had not. What did it matter? What could love, unsolved mystery, count for in the face of this possession of self-assertion, which she suddenly recognized as the strongest impulse of her being? Free, body and soul free, she kept whispering. Josephine was kneeling before the closed door, with her lips to the keyhole, imploring for admission. Louise, open the door. I beg, open the door. You'll make yourself ill. What are you doing, Louise? For heaven's sake, open the door. Go away. I am not making myself ill. No, she was drinking in a very elixir of life through that open window. Her fancy was running riot along with those days ahead of her, spring days and summer days and all sorts of days that would be her own. She breathed the quick prayer that life might be long. It was only yesterday she had thought with a shudder that life might be long. She arose at length and opened the door to her sister's importunities. There was a feverish triumph in her eyes, and she carried herself unwittingly like a goddess of victory. She clasped her sister's waist, and together they descended the stairs. Richard stood waiting for them at the bottom. Someone was opening the front door with a latch key. It was Brentley Mallard who entered. A little travel-stained, composedly carrying his grip sack and umbrella, he had been far from the scene of the accident and did not even know there had been one. He stood amazed at Josephine's piercing cry, at Richard's quick motion to screen him from the view of his wife. But Richard was too late. When the doctors came, they said she had died of heart disease, of joy that kills. Okay, and there we have The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin. Um, That was quite a quick read. I think it was only about two and a half pages at most. But just like we do with every other podcast, I want to give you guys a little bit of some discussion questions that you guys can think about. Again, you do not have to write anything for this. All I want you to do is just to kind of listen. Um, 
and think of other ways that this story may have hit home for you. Maybe you really enjoyed this one. Maybe not. We all have our preferences. Um, but just these discussion questions are just a way for you to kind of open up your own minds. And if you want to share this with your family or friends and discuss it with them, you know, please feel free to. Um, so the main thing that I wanted to kind of talk about were actually there are two or three different things that I wanted to talk about. The first thing being the very first line of the story, um, knowing that Miss Mallard was afflicted with a heart trouble, great care was taken to break to her as gently as possible the news of her husband's death. So we know from the very, very beginning that Mrs. Mallard, who is our protagonist in this story, um, we know that she has a heart condition, right? And her family doesn't want to say anything too extreme in order um, to make her feel bad, in order for her heart to kind of give out. So we are kind of given this piece of information really quickly in the story. It's the first line. Now, in any case, I believe this to be, um, at least from the story's perspective, a point of foreshadowing. Because at the very end of it, we realize that the main character, Mrs. Mallard, actually dies from a heart attack. So I want to see this as kind of like an example of foreshadowing the author telling us about Mrs. Mallard's heart problem beforehand and then it coming true later on in the story. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to talk about was this one big theme, right? The theme or the moral of the story, right? This one big theme that kept popping up was the theme of freedom, right? She kept muttering to herself when she was in that room sitting in the armchair. She kept saying free, 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 body and soul free right? She kept talking about that word. And in this point, what do you think the freedom is for her? Now, this story, if I remember correctly, was written sometime, let me see, I thought I had it here. Uh, yeah, the original story was published in 1894, okay? So with this story coming out, you know, in the 19th century, we're talking about different social cues that are happening here. Remember, we talked about this when we were learning about Macbeth, right? We were learning about how women were supposed to stay at home. They were supposed to take care of the house. They were supposed to do all the cleaning, raising the children, right? Cooking the food. And the men were the ones who were supposed to go out and work. And in this case, it, it seems like Mr. and Mrs. Mallard had that kind of same thing going on, right? But with the death or the supposed death, of Mr. Mallard, right? She wouldn't have to be underneath his thumb anymore. Remember, she kept saying how she didn't have to wait and have someone tell her what to do. She didn't have to bend to someone else's will, right? She kept saying to herself that, you know, she had to keep telling herself that she wasn't happy that he was dead, when in actuality, when she found out about his death, she was very much happy because she didn't have to do anything. On page two, if you guys want to go back to the story that I have linked on here, um, if you look in the middle of page two, it says, there would be no one to live for her during those coming years. She would live for herself, right? She would be able to make her own decisions. She wouldn't have to wait for her husband to tell her what to do. And in this case, this is the freedom that I think she's talking about. Um, and then the last thing that I kind of wanted to discuss is kind of where it all wraps up, right? So 
you know, Josephine comes in. She allows Josephine to come into the room. She comes downstairs with Richards. And then the door opens. And behind that door is Mr. Mallard, who was not involved in a railway accident. He was not killed. He wasn't anywhere near that area, right? Um, so he was very much alive when he came back home. And on the very last line of the story, it says, When the doctors came, they said she had died of heart disease, of joy that kills. Okay? Now remember, when she is talking about this, when the author was talking about this, we were learning through third-person perspective. We were learning through Mrs. Mallard's point of view, right? We were kind of seeing what she was thinking. But of course... After she dies, the perspective goes into the doctors just for the very last line. We don't have Mrs. Mallard's perspective here, right? The doctor said that she had died of heart disease, of joy that kills, right? So that means that she was so happy, and because we knew she had a heart condition from the very beginning, she was so happy that it killed her. Now. We all know from reading her mind, right, being in her mind, that she probably was not happy that he was alive. And she probably had a heart attack from being so surprised, but also being quite sad that he's alive still. Um, but the main thing that I kind of wanted to do, and I, I read this story when I was in college, and then I'm reading it again as I'm obviously reading it to you guys, and I kind of picked up on something that I did not pick up at college, and I kind of want to see what you guys think about it. But, so, Brentley Mallard, who's the husband, right? He was coming in the front door on page uh, three, right? It was Brentley Mallard who entered, a little travel-stained, composedly carrying his grip sack and umbrella. He had been far from the scene of the accident and did not even know there had been one, Right? So here's my thing. If he was a working man, right? If he was a man who was be, you know, waking up at eight in the morning, going to his job, coming back home to his wife, right? Then he would have been at the railway and he would have been in this accident, right? There was a long list of people, right? It wasn't just one or two people that got killed. It was a long list. So chances are he wouldn't have escaped from it. So here's my theory. I think Brentley Mallard, the husband, was having an affair. If you look at the sentence, it says, Brentley Mallard entered. He was a little travel-stained, right? So that means he's gone on a long trip, right? He had been far from the scene of the accident and did not even know there had been one. Now, wouldn't someone who was at work would have known there would have been an accident even if he wasn't involved in it, right? So, I believe that he was having an affair. Or, not even an affair, he could have been just been going somewhere else, right? Somewhere where he wasn't supposed to have been, right? If he was supposed to be at work. So that means that his relationship with Mrs. Mallard wasn't good from the very beginning, right? And this kind of goes into that if Mrs. Mallard was so happy that he was dead in the first place, there must have been some sort of 
you know, stream of events that happened to make her feel that way. Maybe she suspected him, suspected him of having an affair and she was so, you know, unhappy with being married to him. But then when she thought he was dead, it would be easier for her to move on and she would be free. Right? So I think their relationship prior to this had been rocky, right? Either because of what he's been doing, mostly because of what he's been doing, because we don't really get much of um, Mrs. Mallard's past. Um, But in this case, I think he was having an affair and he wasn't anywhere near the railroad station. And this also adds to the whole tragedy of it, right? She wanted to get out of this relationship with him. She was so happy when she thought he was dead that when he actually came through the door, she had died of a heart attack, of her being so emotionally distraught at seeing him and it being so surprising that she was just dead when he showed up, which is a very tragic thing, right? Um, Anyway, If you guys have any discussion questions that you guys want to do, you can always post them on Google Classroom and you guys can answer each other when it comes to the comments if you have anything else you guys want to talk about. Um, But the main thing is thank you guys for sitting along for this new episode of the podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Um, We're still looking for updates from the School District of Philadelphia regarding grading. So we don't know what's going to happen with the grading and the lessons, but for right now, We're going to keep doing these podcasts. That way you guys can listen in on a few more stories, you know, expand your horizons a little bit. And with that, I'm going to say bye. Bye, Northeast. Stay safe. Stay healthy.